morning. Glad to see you all this morning. It's great to be here with you all. Um, I'm excited to share with you this story that we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, it's a story in scripture that gets skipped over a lot. Um, it's found right in the middle of Luke chapter 17. Um, it's There's verses before it in the chapter and there's verses after it in the chapter. Um, prior to it in Luke chapter 17, uh, we find so, a somewhat familiar scripture. You may have heard um, faith of a mustard seed. You ever heard that before? So a little bit before what we're going to be talking about this morning, there's, there's verses where Jesus is talking about if you just have a little bit of faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. That one, you probably, if you've been around church very long, you may have heard a sermon on that before. And then directly after what we're going to be talking about, um, there's some verses where Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, and it's kind of here and now already, and yet it's still coming, and it's on the move, and it's exciting, and it's kind of in and out our everyday lives. And that's probably another one you may have heard somebody talk about before, but nestled in between those two um, is a story about when Jesus was walking from one city to another to, to do this uh, teaching and sharing. And so I'm going to read it to you this morning, and uh, we're going to pay attention to some of the details we find in it. And um, it's short. It's only eight verses. So we're gonna, I'm going to read through it all once, and then we're going to kind of go through and pull out some of the details we find in there. A lot of times when there are details that seem... Like kind of like, why is that in there in Scripture? Um, they usually have some really important things to say to us when we really dig in deep. So if we can put the Scripture up there, uh, Luke 17, starting with verse 11 this morning. I'm going to read through it one time all the way through. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no, one, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. All right, so let, let's go back to the very beginning of it. Let's put the scripture back up. And we're going to kind of go through it a little bit slower this time and talk about some of the details we find in there. Um, right off the bat, they mentioned that these men had leprosy, right? So pretty much any kind of skin disease, if you get a rash of some kind, like when they say leprosy back then, a lot of times it, it could have been any kind of skin disease. Um, but they had a tradition, uh, a long-standing long tradition that um, if you had some kind of disease, it could be something really bad or it could just be, you know, a rash that goes away in a few days. Um, but they didn't exactly have the uh, capability to tell the difference back then. Um, so it was commonplace at the time. Uh, if you were somebody who had a skin disease, leprosy, um, you had a stigma. Uh, you had to keep your distance. There were rules in place. Um, so right off the bat, these, these men that called out to Jesus, um, everybody would have known kind of who they were. They weren't allowed to come near everybody else. Um, there was this thought 
uh, it was kind of understood that they had probably done something to bring this on themselves. So there was a bit of like a, hey, you're one of those people. Stay over there. Um, I don't know what you did to bring this on yourself, but you're not allowed to come near us. They were cast off from society. And so naturally, they kind of formed these little communities kind of off to the side because um, they were only allowed to be around each other. Um, and they had to stay there until um, if by a miracle their, their skin was healed. Um, other than that, they had to potentially a lifelong thing. Like they were cast off from society. Um, I was trying to think, I mean, we still have leprosy today, but it's not the same as what I'm describing here. Uh, medicine has come a long way in a couple thousand years. And, um, but I was trying to think as I was reading through this earlier this week, what, what could we compare that to that would resonate with us? And I was thinking about a group of people that are kind of cast off from society. There's a bit of a stigma. Uh, most people tend to look at them and go, what did you do to get yourself there? Um, and there's this kind of societal keep your distance, and there's this um, forming of these little communities around town. And I thought, it almost sounds like homelessness. But if we thought homelessness was contagious, right? Because skin disease, like, that was kind of the issue was, like, if you have it, don't bring it over here because then the whole town's going to get it. So I thought it, it kind of... It's not exactly the same, but it kind of correlated, right, that um, imagine if we thought that homelessness was contagious. You come near me and you could pass it on to me, right? It, it would kind of be the same thing with what we're dealing with these guys where it's kind of like you, you need to stay over there. Stay. Don't, don't come near us. Um, but occasionally it did clear up, right? And so you notice as we were reading, um, these men, they saw Jesus. And they kept their distance. They knew those societal rules. Um, they, they knew their place. They couldn't just run up to Jesus and say, please heal me. Um, they would have been cast off. But yet they cried out for help. Um, they knew he had something. They knew there was a chance maybe that he could help them. And so they wanted what he had to offer. And yet they knew, um, I kind of have to keep my distance. And they, these t there's 10 of them. They cried out for help. And his answer to them was kind of weird. Um, go show yourself to the priest. It sounds weird to us, but on the rare occasion where somebody's skin disease did clear up, they had to verify, yes, okay, you're good to go. You're allowed to come back into society. And the system they had in place back then was you had to go to the priest to verify that, yes, there has been a miracle. Um, you are healed, and you are allowed to re-enter society. You're allowed to come join us. So that statement, I mean, these, these are men um, that have these, I mean, skin diseases, you can easily tell, like, easily a visible thing. And uh, he says to them, his answer to them isn't, yes, I'm healing you, or no, I'm not healing you. His answer to them was, go show yourself to the priest, which implies you're going to be healed. Can you imagine the embarrassment if these men had gone to the priest and be like, look at us. Can we come back? And like, no. Look at, like, they didn't have access to, like, they couldn't pull their pocket mirror out. So, like, can you imagine the embarrassment if they went up and, priest, here we are. And he's like, go back. You, you still have something going on, right? So 
there was a big step of faith required for these men to actually do what he said, right? To go, they had to, like, when did they get healed? What did it say in there? As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So there was something about, they had to actually step towards the priest and go on their way to claim this miracle that Jesus was offering them before it happened. Um, and it, like I said, it's not like they could stop at their house on the way and check in the mirror to see if, you know, everything went away. Like, they had to trust. There's a big step of faith involved in that. And what I find amazing in this story is that all ten of them went. Like, that's pretty crazy. Like, if you if, if you ask ten people to go take a step on faith that God's going to take care of whatever their current ailment is, like, what are the odds that all ten of us are going to be like, yes, I believe so strongly that I'm going to actually go walk towards the priest and, and claim this miracle. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible and something to be celebrated that all ten of these men um, believed in Jesus so much and had the faith that they were cleansed. Um, but yet, that's only halfway through our text this morning. Like that in itself, we could stop the story right there. And we can have a pretty awesome sermon on the fact that these ten men displayed their faith and uh, received healing from Jesus and that would be a pretty awesome message, pretty encouraging to go out with. But yet the story continues. Um, at this point, it transitions um, to focus on one of those ten. And like I said at the beginning, what those ten had in common was there was a social stigma. They wanted the healing. They knew Jesus had it to offer to them. But yet they understood that they needed to keep their distance from him because of the societal social norms that were in place. And uh, they were just kind of stuck in this. I, I'm imagining Jesus back there in the back from where I am calling out that from that distance. Can you please help us? And yet there's, there's just something keeping them from him. I remember being at my previous church. For those that don't know my backstory, a couple years ago I lived in South Carolina and I worked at a church there and it was a big enough church that there was a handful of us on staff that were all part-time uh, pastors at the church. And so we would have these meetings occasionally, and we, we would try to um, kind of think through strategy and vision for moving the church forward. And one thing, if, you know, if you're involved, if you've ever been involved in church leadership or any kind of business leadership for that matter, um, there's an element of discovering who you are and what you're about so that you can fulfill your mission well, right? It's something every, if you've ever started a business, um, you have to kind of narrow in on, okay, what are we going to be about? Who are we targeting ourselves to? And so I remember having some of these conversations with our staff about what's our niche? Like what kind of church are we? I mean, this was South Carolina and there was churches on every corner. And so every church kind of had its has its own kind of flavor and if you've ever been to more than one church, you can tell right off the bat when you walk in the door sometimes, what kind of church is this? Am I going to be cast out because I'm not wearing a tie? Um, or is this going to be the kind of church where I walk in and my ears are blown off from the uh, melting music, right? So, like, every church has its own flavor. And we were trying to figure out, like, who, who are we as a church? And we, we couldn't put our finger on it. We were, like, an odd mix of people, right? We weren't. We weren't the church um, that was kind of stuffy. We weren't the church that was um, heavy m 
knock your socks off loud music. We weren't, uh, everything we could think of that we were a little bit of, there was somebody else that was like totally that and like they already had that corner. It's like, who are we exactly as a church? And what we, I think we narrowed it down to was we're kind of a church for everybody else that doesn't quite fit anywhere, right? We were all a little bit odd. And we all kind of had our own backstories that brought us together. And it was like, yeah, I'm just a little bit weird. And I found my other weird people. And like, here we are, right? And it got me thinking as we've been here a couple of years now with Wayfinders, like, is that us? <laughs> I think it is because I'm a little weird. That's what drew me here, right? And I know Todd's a little weird. He started this whole thing, okay? And I've gotten to know enough of you semi-well enough now over the last couple of years to know we're all a little weird, right? Is it okay for me to say that? I'm not putting you down if I say, okay. All right, so you belong if you're a little weird. I'll just throw that out if this is your first time here. Um, I was in a room with some of our leaders a few weeks ago, uh, some of the people that are leading some ministries around here and also in our San Marcos church, and uh, we were sharing our stories of kind of what drew us to be a part of this movement, this Wayfinders thing, and uh it was interesting. Everybody's story had an element of the best word we could come up with was holy discontentment, right? Wherever, whatever we were doing before, it wasn't that that was a bad thing, but that we all kind of felt like there was there was something else for us that God was pulling us towards, not running from, but pulling us towards. And then here we are, just this collection of people that were all kind of drawn to this movement, this message, this vision, this three L's that we talked about a minute ago, loving first and doing life together and living the story of Jesus without all the added qualifiers that sometimes churches add on to that, that you also have to do this, this, and this, and this, right? We're okay to be, to be a little bit different uh, because we're drawn together by Jesus. And as... As I think about this story, that's kind of how I viewed these ten men, right? They were just a little bit cast off. They, weren't, they couldn't quite be like everybody else. Um, but yet they saw Jesus. And maybe there were some societal norms in the way. But they wanted him and they cried out for him. And when he asked them to take a step of faith, they did it. And all of them were cleansed. And if this first half of this story correlates to us as wayfinders, then maybe the second half of it and the one that returns has something to say to us too this morning. Uh, I know it did to me this week as I've been reading through and praying over this. Um, it spoke to me. And so I think maybe it has something to do with each of us here this morning too. So if all 10 of them believed and, and took that step of faith and were healed, that's something to greatly be celebrated. And I would say, I think you, I hope you would agree with me this morning that the presence of Wayfinders existing in Kyle, Texas over the last couple of years, I mean, we really, not even two years since we've like been doing this, but it's been getting close to three years since the Barkers first moved down here and started like trying to stir up a movement of this is who we're gonna be. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna refer to three years and that really refers back to the year of, of before we really launched as a church. Um, the pr in my opinion, the presence of Wayfinders has been a huge blessing to the city of Kyle. Now, I wasn't in Kyle before this. I came here for this. I moved here for this. But 
those of you that have been here, uh, I hope you would agree with me. We've made an imprint on this city. I really believe we have. Like, whether it's a huge part of somebody's life or just a little thing here and there where we handed them a watermelon or something and they go, oh, somebody gave me something for free. Novel idea. Or um, maybe we met somebody at an event we put on or somebody got some of the socks and underwear that we collected or maybe the recipients of uh, some of the love blitzes we've done over the years. Uh, maybe a little even higher level of blessing received, right? But over the time that we've existed and we've been here, um, I think we have done a lot to bless the city. Not we, I say we, but it's God working through us. All we've done is shown up and been available. God's done a lot through our little gathering here to bless those around here. And I'm not saying that to toot our horn, but to say when 10 people are celebrated, that's, I mean, are healed, that's something to celebrate, right? And I think I can equate, I can think of all the ways that we have tried to just spray love out there across the city and bless a lot of people. I can, I, I kind of equate that to this, all 10 of these men were healed and responded to Jesus. But then the story returns to the one that returned. And this gets really interesting here um, because when, uh, when scripture puts a detail in there, a lot of times it's there for a reason. Like if you're ever reading a story in the scripture and it's like, why is that little odd detail put in there? Look into it because there's probably a context that really gives some depth to the story. And when scripture adds a second, like repeats that detail, that's like an alarm going off. Like why is this so important? Why did I mean we only have this much text and they repeated this minuscule detail twice. Did you notice when we were talking about the, the one that returned? He gave two descriptors of who he was. One, they called him a, a Samaritan. And if you're not familiar with the background there, that, that's kind of like a put down. Uh, kind of like a, um, another social stigma, really. They were kind of like the, you're not quite fully Jewish. You're not really one of us. You, there was some, a lot of issue there. Um, they referred to him as a Samaritan. And then what did Jesus call him right after that? A foreigner, right? So twice they referenced the fact that this guy was just a little bit different than the rest. So he kind of had a double stigma going on, right? Because the, the, they all had a stigma with their, their leprosy issues. Um, but this guy kind of had a double stigma going on. I wonder sometimes if those nine, as grateful as they were for their healing, um, kind of in the back of their mind had like a, yeah, but if I can just get rid of this skin disease, I can get back to being normal because I'm Jewish and I can go about my normal Jewish ways. And But then this one guy, like, he had even even a deeper sense of something's not quite right in, in me because even upon being healed, um, he's still a Samaritan. He's still a foreigner. Yet he's the one that came back to say thank you. And I think it's because you have a deeper sense of what's been done for you when you don't think you deserve it. You can, th those other nine, they could maybe kind of talk themselves into, yeah, I finally I just got this skin disease thing out of the way and now I can go back to being who I'm supposed to be. You can almost talk yourself into deserving God's grace. But this guy had a deeper sense of what was done for him and he was deeply grateful. And if you believe you don't deserve to be saved and God saves you anyway, there's a deep, deep level of gratefulness there. And I think this guy's uh, an example of that for us. 
I'm going to use a term. I'm going to put it in air quotes. Um, I'm going to do the wrong thing and stereotype here, but um, church people. If I, if I do air quotes, church people. Um, I'm, what I mean by that is people who are just kind of used to, comfortable with kind of church culture, the way church operates. Um, there can be a tendency sometimes for somebody to kind of consider themselves a pretty good person if I do the right things. Um, and a lot of times people pour a lot of themselves, their time, their effort, their money into church culture. And it could potentially give an entitlement thought to this grace. But if you're a little bit weird and you don't quite fit, if you're a wayfinder, maybe, uh, <laughs> then maybe there's a deeper sense to the gratitude of what's been done for you when God says, come on, I got room for you too, come on, right? That, yeah, I should belong feeling, um, it's, it's just not there because I don't deserve anything. What God did for me, the fact that God has done so much for me, whatever it is God's done in your life, um, it's just 100% grateful for it. There's no sense of like, finally, he did this for me because I'm finally getting to where I'm supposed to be. And yet, I want to be careful because really what I'm trying to get to say is God's grace is for everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. Um, this is one of our core values, um, the three L's. They were kind of the, the love first, life together, live the story. Those were birthed out of um, some core values we have. We don't talk about them a ton. They are on our website, but they're really the reason behind why we do what we do. Um, and that's one of them. Grace, God's grace is for everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. And I want to be careful not to, like, vilify the other nine that didn't come back in that story uh, because God's grace is for them too and they were healed. God willingly gave his grace to them too. So it's not like there's bad guys in this story. Sometimes when we tell a story, uh, I saw a picture on Facebook of a friend of mine, his son, um, they got the nativity scene out a little early and he's playing with the toys and he kept asking his dad, where's the bad guy? Like, where's the bad guy? He, like, you know how kids are. When you play, there's got to be a good guy and a bad guy, right? So we're all grown-up kids, so sometimes we have a tendency to think, like, there's got to be a bad guy in the story so there can be a good guy. There's not a bad guy in the story. Nine ten, or ten people were all healed based on faith. Um, so it's not like a compare um, the, the gratefulness of this one that came back to the, those nine ungrateful guys over there. No. No, this is a story about grace for everybody, and yet there's something more for the one who came back to say thank you. That's what I pull from this. Grace is for all, but yet there seems to be a next level acknowledgement of what has been done for us. And when we get to that level, it always spurs us to action. Just like it spurred that one to come back, to go out of his way to come back to Jesus, to say, thank you for what you've done for me. Notice in verse 14, if we can put 14 back up there, the four men, they were cleansed. There it is right there. They were cleansed. And then in 19, throw 19 back up there for me. When the one came back, Jesus' response to him was, your faith has healed you. 
Now, I don't know if anybody here speaks more than one language. I do not. But I have been around when uh, I've seen people translating. And have you ever, like, what do we do when we're translating and um, there's not quite the right word to say it? Like, uh, apparently, Wayfinders, you can't translate in Spanish. Like, it just doesn't quite translate right. So you have to kind of give some context, right? You ha- kind of have to give some, say it a couple different ways, and then in hearing it two or three different ways, giving some synonyms, we kind of get the point across. It's that way sometimes when we read scripture, because uh, it wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Hebrew and in Greek. And um, over the years, it's been translated many times into English for us so that we can read scripture. Sometimes there's not an exact best way to say it, and so there are different English translations out there that kind of say things a different way. And so it can be a helpful practice sometimes, just FYI, when you're reading scripture. If you read something and you go, hmm, find a couple different, li- the internet's great for this because Bible Gateway, you can just look it up or the Bible app or whatever. You can just easily just change translations with the click of a button and read it in a couple different translations. And sometimes it's seeing the different wording a couple times can give you kind of the big picture of the point that's coming across. And so in verse 19, I found this helpful too. He said, the, the version we read this morning said, your faith has healed you. Another one I looked up said, your faith has saved you. And another one said, your faith has made you whole. So they were all cleansed. And yet there's something deeper going on in the one who turned and returned to Jesus to say thank you. And so this idea of this deep gratefulness that leads us to action, it brings us back to our sermon series for the rest of this month, for this three weeks. We're calling it Thanks and Giving. I'm going to put that graphic back up there, the Thanks and Giving graphic. Um, Yes, it's a play on words because we have a holiday this month called Thanksgiving. Um, But it's more than that. We're looking at the correlation between thanks and and giving. And true, deep, grateful thankfulness always leads us to action. And I think that's rare, like one in ten rare. Um, I think a lot of people are grateful, but I think this deep soul, I didn't deserve this, thank you, what can I try to do to repay? You ever get that gift and it's like, I can't do anything to repay this to you. Everything in me just wants to somehow return the favor. Um, <laughs> I could get off on a rabbit trail here about my favorite TV show and the character who hates giving gifts because somebody else's big bang theory. You know where I'm going with that. But um, there's this, just like I can't repay you in my gut feeling, but yet I want to do something to let you know how grateful I am for what you've done for me, right? There's this correlation between thanks and giving. I can't help but take, but take, in, take a step of action back towards what I'm thankful for, that grace. And so, yes, I believe there is a depth of gratefulness for what God does for us individually that pulls us closer to him. But I think the real magic in this is there's something special about what happens when that happens in the midst of a community like what we have here like what we've attempted to build here with Wayfinders. 
it seems to me like God has always worked that way over the years, like thousands of years, that there are changed people who have a deep sense of gratitude for how God, sometimes through the church, has blessed them, and in return, it spurs those people into action, an action that has a sense of ownership and a sense of commitment to God has blessed me through this, and the least I can do is return some of my efforts to him in hopes that it can bless somebody else to come along. And that creates a cycle, a cycle that's really been going on for thousands of years since the time of Jesus. Um, gratitude that leads to action, that blesses somebody else, that gives them gratitude, that leads to action, that blesses somebody else. And for thousands of years, the church has grown that way, and it has blessed the world over and over and over and over again. And Wayfinders is mini blip, blip on the radar over the last two years. But I'm talking big picture around the world. The church has exponentially blessed the world and grown through that simple formula. And it begins with gratitude, thankfulness. And so unlike my um, attempt at uh, describing a t an entitlement that could be based on being church people who give themselves to the church and can maybe feel a sense of entitlement of God's grace, like, yeah, I deserve it because I gave myself to it. Instead of that, a commitment of time and energy and funds and whatever else I can give to God's movement in this world that's based out of thankfulness for the grace that God's done for me doesn't turn into entitlement, but instead it turns into this unstoppable force of mission and purpose in the world that none of us can do on our own, but when we come together and do it, um, it just grows exponentially. Like, I can't think of a better way to put that. Um, my job I started this past year has me tutoring high school kids in math, and I've learned all about functions, and if that makes you squirm in your seat because you remember high school, sorry for bringing that memory back up, but Functions are interesting because they can grow, like a linear function grows in a line. You add one, and then it's one bigger. And then you add another one, and it's one bigger. And it kind of grows one at a time. But exponential growth starts slow, and then it doubles, and it doubles, and it doubles, and it doubles, and before you know it, it explodes. Um, and I think that's how God's kingdom works. Uh, and if we were to continue on in, in chapter 17, if you were to go home and read the rest of it this afternoon, uh, I think you pick up on um, that Jesus was getting at that. I think that's why this story is nestled in between the mustard seed faith and the God's kingdom is like, because that's kind of how it works. It starts with a mustard seed. Just take a step of faith like those 10 men did and just trust that Jesus is going to do what he says he's going to do. And then return with a grateful heart when he comes through. And when we do that and we repeat that cycle, the kingdom of God takes off in ways that we can't even try to replicate. It just does. And so as I think about, like I said, over the last couple years of our, our attempts to bless the community through this concept of wayfinders, I think it's safe to say we've, we've probably, uh, on some level, I mean, sometimes as small as handing a watermelon out, like I said, sometimes as big as baptism and everything in between, Baptism as in like in a complete turnaround of life and focused on Jesus now when I wasn't before. 
I think it's safe to say we've probably had some impact on hundreds, maybe thousands of different people over the last few years. I think that's safe to say. But a few, maybe one in 10 might be an accurate ratio if we look around the room on a typical Sunday. A few respond, have responded to that healing and continued to come back and say thank you to Jesus for what you've done and attempted to pour in to helping this thing grow exponentially so that we can grow even more. Um, and that's not an indictment on the other nine, like I said. Um, but it's, uh, there's so much more for those that pour in. Um, and so as we get ready to finish up here this morning, I've invited some special guests. I'm going to pull them up here in just a second. Give me one second, guys. Um, but the miracle... of what God does through us uh, when we embrace him. I want to leave you with a challenge here this morning. Um, if you've been blessed by what God's done through Wayfinders at all on any level, kind of like those 10 men were blessed by their encounter with Jesus, my question for you is what does your next step of turning back to Jesus saying thank you look like? I don't have an answer for this because it's very personal for everybody. I don't know what it means for you. I know what it means for me. I've been wrestling with it all week. Um, but maybe if you've been, like, watching this online and following on the social medias and watching online, maybe it looks like showing up in person and taking a risk and coming here. Maybe it looks like a renewed or a new commitment to serve and step in and, and help grow this thing. Maybe it looks like a financial gift or a new habit of helping fund the mission of what God's doing in this city. I don't know what it looks like for you. It could be any of these things. Maybe it looks like stepping out of your comfort zone and being willing to get real with somebody here, even though you've been coming around for a while. Maybe it's time to take the next step of let's let somebody know what's really going on in my life. I don't know what it means for you. I know what it has meant for me. And I'm wrestling with what it means for me next. Um, but I challenge you to really think about that. And maybe whatever that next step for you is, it's what it's going to take to move you from being cleansed temporarily of your skin disease, not, not really, but to being made whole, kind of like the one that came back. Just make sure that your step, whatever it is, that you take it out of gratitude and not guilt or obligation because that misses the whole point. And so I want to invite, come on up, guys. Um, one living example of what I'm talking about here, a next step. Uh, how many of you know who Rebecca Renovato is? Say hi. She's coming up here on the side. All right. So in the last month or so, she took that step in one very tangible way. Uh, she's been volunteering with us with Way Kids since we started a couple years ago. And just recently, she said, you know, God's kind of put it on her heart to help lead our children in worship every Sunday. We worship up here with the band every week, and um, she has stepped in the gap and helped lead our children in worship. And uh, that is a way that uh, she's been grateful for what God has done in her life and in what God's done in her children's life through Wayfinders, and she's decided to step in in that way. And I was down there taking my turn serving with them last week. Once a month, I go down and serve down there in Way Kids as well. And it's the first time I've been down there since Rebecca's been leading uh, worship down there. 
and she's got some songs she's been teaching these kids, and they're really cool songs. And they started singing this one that they're about to teach us, and guess what it was about? It was about ten men who got healed. These are, these are the lyrics of what you're about to hear. Ten men came to Jesus, and they said, can you heal us? Jesus touched their lives, and they were well again. They all got excited, and they ran away. Only one turned around and came back to say, thank you, Jesus. So they're going to teach us this song. I know we usually end with the band coming back up and doing a song for us, but we're going to end it this way. We need you guys to participate. There's some hand motions, so watch our kids, and uh, I'm going to turn it over. <laughs> 